All right, everybody. Welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. So happy to be back. Big shout out to all the Patreon subscribers, as always. I'd like to give you guys a special thank you. For those of you who subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, a lot of thanks to you as well. Just posted some new clips from the podcast on the YouTube channel. So feel free to check that out. That's simply at youtube.com slash Joe Kilgallen. Very excited for today's podcast. Uh, a hilarious comedian. This guy's got over five albums. He's got his own Comedy Central special. He's been on The Tonight Show. Uh, one of the more original comedic voices I've come across. I know you guys are going to enjoy him. So without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Mike Kaplan. What's up, Mike? Hey, that was very kind of you to say. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, you're welcome. Mike is going to be in Chicago. To all my Chicago listeners out there, get excited. August 1st, August 1st at the lawn at Bethany UCC. That's 4250 North Polina Street, Chicago, Illinois. 60613. Let's get let's be professional about it and get the whole address there. Maybe you guys want to mail them something. <laughs> um, Mike, though, I, I noticed you've also been on Conan. And last week or two weeks ago, a lot of people were sharing their Conan memories all over Twitter. So I've got to ask, what was the experience like for you? Oh, wow. I don't remember it at all. Uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> is my sincere beginning of answer. Uh, I mean, I I think Conan's show is the show that I've done the most of the, I've gotten to do uh, a number of late night shows uh, multiple times. I'm very grateful for all of them. And Conan's was the one that I did first when it was The Tonight Show. Uh, and so that was, you know, a, a rare gem of an experience to begin with, just to get to be on a late night show, to get to be on Conan's show, to find out the, you know, the limited edition window that that turned out to be. And then to get to return uh, a, a, I, three, four other more times, I it's it feels like a, a blessing that I don't even exactly know how many times he had me back. And every time he's just the kindest person, like spent uh, so much time in in my dressing room. Uh, I was like, get out of here. I got to dress, you know, and he's <laughs> like, no, I, I hang out here. And like, I think on his way out, you know, I was leaving with some friends that came with me and he like stopped and talked with them for 10 minutes. Just like, you know, as far as I know, like the way you'd wish him to be, they're like, I hope he, I hope he's great. I hope he's as and. He was, he is. And so, uh, I mean, I'm thrilled. I know people who've like written for his show for decades and, uh, and I hope that I know that he's going to do another show. And so I'm like, glad that he, glad he's in the world, glad he gets to keep doing what he's doing and glad that he was a, a large part of my, uh, getting to be able to do comedy, uh, full time. So, uh, very, uh, very grateful to Conan and, uh, Oh, but but the memories, boy! I got uh, uh, don't uh, they? Uh, I'm like all the memories. I'm like I met. I was on with Joey from Friends, and uh, what Ooh, are your nice. Conan memories like? I met Weird Al, and that was amazing. It's like so Conan was he was so cool. He had on all these other people that weren't him. Um, just yeah, he's <laughs> uh, a a super. Uh, I mean, one of the funniest people that there's ever been, and uh, just an honor to have gotten to uh, shake his hand, sit next to him, uh, and also James Cameron. Nice, nice. Uh, you had a cooler experience because 
I got. I wish I could have done Conan. Hopefully, his HBO Max show has some stand-ups because maybe, you know, one day I'll get to do it as well. But my materials really. I'm, I'm kind of a dirty comic, so I never felt like I fit Conan, and it never really bothered me. But he was the guy that he was like our generation's Letterman in a lot of ways. I feel like my dad loved Letterman, and I kept telling him Conan's amazing because I had the Conan 10 year anniversary DVD that came out in like 2004. And I watched it so much, it just kind of wore out. I had to buy another one. That thing was, it was so many cool. He used to do the best remote segments. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm glad that he's lived up to the hype because, you know, you worry though that someone like that might not be as cool as you think they might be, but he has been. But I brought up the how he was cooler to your friends. I got to go backstage for two of my friends, Roy Wood Jr. when he got to do Conan. I used to open for Roy a little bit. He brought me backstage to hang out. And then my friend Megan Gailey, who I used to do a podcast with, and both times I was kind of hoping maybe Conan would walk by because, you know, I grew up watching Conan. I, I've got this big, dumb Irish head like he does. And neither time. The author, Michael Lewis, was kind of hanging around to the point where I was like, hi, Michael Lewis. How are you? But I remember being like, where's Conan? Where's Conan? Yeah, the big short. Great book. Liar's Poker. You're a wonderful writer. I'm looking for Conan, though. <laughs> So yeah, you uh, got yeah you. I, I didn't realize it was Conan's Tonight Show you were on as I was looking up your credits. Yeah, two thousand nine. I got to imagine there's only about what twenty comedians maybe that did it in the one I year think, he was on. I think that's that? I think that's exactly right. I think uh, give or take a couple. I think I think I might have been like the sixteenth, uh, and it's it was such a fortuitous thing. My buddy Shane Moss, who I started out with in Great Boston. Guy. Like, oh, yeah, Shane got to do, you know, Conan when he was on, you know, uh, the late, late show or the night with Conan, of course, uh, the show that is later uh, on yeah. that channel. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. The show that is later with Conan. And uh, he got to be on that. And then he also got to be on his TBS show and was going to be on The Tonight Show uh, to, like, promote his new a new album and a special that were coming out in March of 2010. But I think in it was either and he was like, yeah, maybe I'll. They were like, do you want to come on the show in January? And he's like, what if we waited till March? And they're like, that'll be great. You know, you'll, we'll get to plug your thing. And then in, uh, in February, they didn't get to plug his thing because they pulled the plug of his thing. Uh, <laughs> does that, the, the word plug appears in both of those sayings. So uh, that is, uh, that's why I really, really held, held on it for a little while. Plug. Uh, sorry if everyone wants to plug their ears. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's... He's given so many comedians. I think I don't know if that show, if Conan just in general has had more comedians on uh, than others. I haven't done a, an extensive empirical data research set, you know. But uh, he's had so many comedians on so many times, and uh, yeah, what a. I'm sorry that you didn't get to uh, share, you know, your big Irish head with him and uh, and really connect. But I think that'll be a great story for panel on uh, on any late night show. There you go. Yeah, definitely. Shane Moss, by the way, is a guy who I got the pleasure of meeting. I featured for him in Milwaukee years and years ago, and I lived in Los Angeles from like 2014 to 2017. And my wife and I, we must have been in L.A. for like a week or two. And I think I had like posted, oh, new to town or, or not new to town. That sounds ridiculous. But I remember saying like, oh, I just got to L.A. And I was on Shane's podcast that he used to do with his ex-girlfriend. April and it was really fun. They both got my wife to Irish dance. My wife's very shy, but she's a world-class Irish dancer who had an Irish dance in a long time. But for some reason, the two of them being 
cool. They were like, come on, do it, do it. And I thought there's no way in hell you guys are going to get her Irish dance, but that's just the type of guy Shane is. I feel like I've never done psychedelics, but I know Shane's into him. I'm like, if next time I see Shane, I might have to dabble because I feel like he's a, tr a trusting guy. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. I like the idea first that you have a big Irish head and your wife has the Irish feet, you know, so you guys go together pretty nicely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, Shane, I, I could just imagine and be like, Come on, just uh, just do do like one one Irish. Just give us one Irish step. Uh, but yeah, he's. I mean, he's a he's a sweetie. He's like just a a big. He's a big kid who likes science. And uh, that podcast, uh, Double Date with Shane and April, is what it was called. Uh, they yes, have it was. Couples on, and uh, I co-wrote the theme song for that podcast. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm happy that you know Shane is uh, Shane's. Had a lot of lot of relation, lot of growth, a lot of different relationships since then. Uh, but uh, so I'm not, I'm not sad that the I'm sad that the podcast doesn't get to be played anymore because I'm like that was a really fun theme song. So if you can go, everybody check out. Look, definitely get get Shane's new podcast. Here we are, and his new one with Rami Azer that's called uh, Mind Under Matter. He's making lots of lots of podcasts happen, but. Also, go back and listen to the theme song. It's uh, Zach Sherwin uh, does the vocals, and uh, Zach is an amazing uh, comedian, musician, and more. So uh, I guess I, what I'm really here to do is to plug the <laughs> podcast theme songs that I've co-written with Zach Sherwin. There have been a few of them, uh, including Shane's new one. But check out Double Date with Shane and April at least. I mean, listen to, listen to your episode. Listen to Joe's episode and <laughs> yeah. listen to that theme song. <laughs> Well, it was a really great theme song. Now, I can't carry a tune. I'm pretty tone deaf, but I'm pretty sure it was like, it's a double date with Shane in April. It was that kind of the, the hook. That's, yeah, it's at 100%. It's a double date with Shane in April. Just a couple couples. Uh, it's, it's so comp. The lyrics are just a couple couples. Oh, man, getting into it and intimate and putting it on the internet was part of it. That's great. That's great writing right there. Good rhyming, good writing. You also yeah. mentioned Weird Al from when you were on Conan. I'm thinking of this now because I remember, you know, living in LA that first month being weird because it it was kind of like TV and movies where I kept running into celebrities, but not like big name celebrities. Our first night, I've told this on the podcast, so sorry, longtime listeners. Our literally our first night in Los Angeles, we ran into Mariska Hargitay from Law and Order SVU. And we were we just were hungry. We had unloaded a, a whole like truck full of stuff, basically. And we're like, just whatever burger place. We just drove first burger place we saw. And then we're getting and the burger place had like a TV on showing reruns of Law and Order SVU. We get into our car and it's Mariska Hargitay going, oh, are you guys leaving? Because she was waiting for a spot. And we're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You're all yours. And then we both get in the car. And we're like, oh, my God, it's Mariska Hargitay. Holy shit. It's Olivia Benson. And then the second, I swear to you, the second one, the next day, I'm at a red light on sunset near the guitar center for the LA listeners. And I look over at the next car and it's weird. El Yankovic driving. I'm pretty sure it was a Prius, but like the most recognizable person, you know, it's not, I mean, look, there's people who look like weird Al, but when it's weird Al, you know, it's weird Al. So it's crazy. You mentioned that. And you also though are a musician in addition to being a comedian. It's true. What do you play? I uh, thanks for asking. I my first instrument was the violin from age four. 
Uh, and uh, that was like, you know, not my choice. Uh, it was presented as a choice. My mom's like, do you want to play the violin or another instrument? Uh, you're definitely going to play something. Uh, my parents were both music teachers, so it was important oh, cool. uh, to them, to my mom very much that uh, that I love music, you know. And uh, I didn't all immediately, but when I was a teenager, I started teaching myself guitar. So I would say guitar is the instrument that I play the most these days. But, uh, you know, I sing, I I've recorded some and released some songs, some comedy, some non-comedy. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, uh, you, you mentioned that you couldn't carry a tune and were tone deaf. So I want to say that you're tune deaf uh that's what i want to <laughs> i want to i want to switch it up uh but i i love i mean do you like listening to music is music yes. something that i mean it's for those for anybody out there who's not familiar with music it's really beautiful uh if anybody doesn't know <laughs> what music is you've got, i don't know where you came from but ask somebody to direct you uh to the nearest music place and you're going to want to try like a bunch of different kinds because there's a lot of it you might not like all of it like i wrote this joke recently uh, that's basically just a tweet. Uh, I'll say it to you. you're for a real tweet here. Uh, it's but it's what I mean. And I wrote it about movies, but it could be about music. Uh, the, what I said was like, I like I love movies the way that I love people. You know, not all of them, but I do love I love music, even though I don't love every sound that I've ever heard. Uh, just I mean, it's it's a large part of my uh my life and creative and sort of language development is uh, being sort of engulfed, enveloped in music. So uh, yeah, I guess to answer your question, guitar. Guitar, there you go. I'm surprised though with two teachers or two parents who are music teachers that they didn't start you off with the piano. I always thought music teachers were like, you gotta start with the piano. Uh, I think that uh, clearly not every music teacher thinks that you, you might be, Hey, you might be surprised to learn that, uh, some music teachers, uh, don't do that. Uh, and you already are surprised, but, uh, I, my mom does play the piano and does teach the piano, uh, like private lessons wise now. And, uh, I like, so I, I started learning, I started teaching myself guitar with, like music that my mom had for the piano. So like there'd be uh, like, you know, books full of like TV show songs or, you know, 80s songs or songs from musicals. And I looked through all these and I found the first song that I learned how to play because they all had like little pictures of where to put your fingers on the strings for a guitar. You know, I don't know if you've seen uh, music that has that, but I looked and I was like, some of them had Place, ways to put your fingers that didn't make sense at all to me. I was like, oh, that's, I can't do that. But I found the first song that I found that I was like, I can do that with all, I can do all those with my fingers. And the song was, I will survive. So that's the first song I learned. Uh, and I still know how to play it. My, my knowledge of how to play I will survive has survived. And so it's true. Uh, but I also then did start like, you know, uh, figuring out some things on the piano. I like to mess around on the piano. I wouldn't say that I am... I'm certainly not trained on it and it wasn't a part it was a part of my music education in that like to learn music theory you had to learn like I had classes where we had to learn how to play chords and uh so I it's part of it but it wasn't uh it wasn't the main instrument that was uh thrust upon me the violin was I kind of dig the violin but I understand as a child that's like one of the least amount of like 
it's not a cool, sexy instrument, you know, but it's, I do enjoy the sound of a violin. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And I mean, you know, the violin Haunting. can be used to play any, you know, any genre of music. You got your bluegrass, you got your, you know, it's in pop music. It's in, I'm like, I'm now pitching the violin. Hey, everyone, don't, don't be down on the violin. The violin, <laughs> like, like, even though it is famous for being the smallest instrument that plays a very sad song, but what about a much bigger violin that plays a happy song, you know? Um, those exist as well. Uh, in, in high school, I played in a band for a little bit, like not like extensively, but like we got together and played at like some school, like talent shows and stuff. And I remember we played a Dave Matthews tune and uh, it was a uh, two step. And that had some cool violin. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is the, this is the stuff. And we did uh, the devil went down to Georgia. Do you know that one? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. A, I, I don't know who knows what, but uh, so, so I'm like, who knows? Are there people out there who don't know music or all music? But uh, uh, no, funny. there are some. No, it was a safe. You know what? I responded kind of dickish by being like, of course, no, but you no, were, you were no. correct, though. Some people might not know the devil goes down to Georgia. That's the one where the devil and a guy named, I think, Johnny have like a, a violin off. It a hundred percent correct on all counts. And so if you haven't heard the song that ever went to Georgia, what a, it's real cool. There's real cool violin in, in it. I think the devil plays better than Johnny though. Johnny, they, it is important uh, that Johnny wins in the narrative, but uh, I mean, and he's, he's not bad, but uh, better too. yeah, I mean, the devil play that real, fiddle, son. <laughs> real cool fiddling. Um, but uh Right after uh, after college, I was dating a woman, uh, and it was before I was a comedian. I started doing comedy really when I was like 24, 25, but uh, since college, my dream was to be a singer-songwriter, was to play the guitar. Like, I loved, I loved They Might Be Giants and Ani DeFranco. Those were like my two big teenage, like, faves. Like, Ani's guitar playing is bananas. It's really, like, I can't, I can't do most of it. And like, uh, but and I feel like if you listen to some of the songs that I was writing at the time, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is they might be giants." You know, I could see why you you like this and you make that. But uh, so I was like pursuing, hopefully, like a music career uh, while going to grad school. And I started dating this woman who did not like it when I picked up my guitar. She also didn't think I was specifically that funny. We both enjoyed watching Friends. That was like the overlap of our senses of humor, but. I remember it didn't work. Uh, yeah, I don't know why, but uh, I remember having a conversation with her at one point when we dated for a few months. Then I went away to this summer camp that I was a counselor at that had been like the place where I blossomed uh, socially and personally, like in my teenage years, where there'd been like these other artsy, misfit, you know, weird kids that were like, you know, outcasts in their school, but we. At, we come together and form, you know, like a Voltron of sadness that becomes happiness, you know, uh, and and at that, even into my 20s, like I, I would be I was a music counselor there. And so I was dating this woman for a few months and then I she went away for the summer and I went to work at this camp for the summer and I was just surrounded by all of my creative friends and I got to be my creative. I like played my songs there for my friends and they're like, this is great. And I was like, that's what I thought. And like my girlfriend, like I came back to uh, to grad school the next day, uh, next next year. And I like it helped me develop like confidence to be like, hey, like makes me you know it doesn't make me feel great when i pick up the guitar and you're like i'd rather you didn't and i was like 
Esther, why is it that, like, what is it about, like, my playing, my, and she's like, oh, it's not your playing. She's like, the guitar, she was Catholic, and she told me that, she's like, the guitar just reminds me of church. And she's like, I don't, and I was like, oh, that's weird to me. Like, at this point, I wish that I would have been, like, understanding and be like, oh, I, I get that. But at the time, I was just like, also, like, guitar is in every music yeah it's so it's so <laughs> strange i was like you think it's like yeah they they play the guitar at my church and the, I get it we we all are we our associations you know with whatever yeah. is our experience i was like the music you like on the radio that has guitar also right like i'm not i'm not your church am i you also like your church don't you so like, yeah i don't want my boyfriend to be my church i was like that's fair okay you know did she only listen to like hip hop and R and B? Because I'm trying to think what genre doesn't have heavy guitar or not like heavy guitar, but you know, a lot of guitar in it. And also I grew up Catholic going to church, you know, for the most part through grade school, I went to a public grade school, but then a Catholic high school. I don't recall the guitar being any bigger than say like the organ. I feel like there was an organ that was played. I don't remember oh, the, yeah. a guitar solo after the Ave Maria. So I'm a little thrown off by that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not in touch with this woman anymore. Yeah, I, I wish her the best. I, I all, I would, I, don't. I would I don't love. Like her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, we're, we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. But, uh, I want everyone to have uh, more happiness and less suffering. Uh, everyone, you, her, me, and that's everyone. You convinced um, me. I take it back. She's all right. Your listeners. There you go. I mean, like, who knows what? Who knows what has happened since then? But I truly. Here's here's my 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 offering my to be generous i would say perhaps it was the acoustic guitar that reminded her of of this experience maybe there was like a church camp or like a ccd like you know uh, a youth pastor that was like gather around everyone let me Could let be. me play some songs around the campfire as opposed to like you know a metallica guitar solo is not exactly in the same camp as uh you know michael Rowe, your boat ashore or puff the magic dragon there you go yeah because i was thinking i'm like mike you don't strike me as the type of guy that picks up the, an acoustic guitar at a party and just forces everyone to hear their rendition of i don't know some third eye blind song or something you know or what's the big one that everyone always goes to wonderwall i've never i've oh, been to a lot yeah. of parties no one's ever played wonderwall but everyone kind of uses that as their like de facto this is what everyone knows how to play on guitar uh it's true uh, what was the example you gave right before wonderwall third eye blind oh yeah i uh, just wanted to say uh my guitar is just off camera over here, uh, you know, on a stand ready for me to grab it at any point. Not right now. Not I'm not here to bring it to this party, but just in my life, I love to be have the, the guitar at the ready because playing music and listening to music, it's it's such a it's really such a joy. My girlfriend, who I live with, uh, went to went to college for music uh, performance and is a, you know, a trained singer uh, and also plays the guitar. And so sometimes we will like on car trips, sing along with the radio or at home, we will, like, I'll pick up the guitar sometimes or she and we'll like be like, oh, let's, we both love, you know, songs of 90s for us are like that's when we were teenagers that's when when you're a teenager that's when your brain is like you know this you know chemical sponge where everything you know maybe even the songs that you don't like 
uh, as a teenager. Later, you're like, oh, yeah, there's that one. And you have this nostalgic feel for it because that's when your brain was becoming an adult brain and just you get imprinted with these things. And so just the other day, I think probably last week, we I was playing the guitar and we were singing. Uh, we sang Wonderwall and we did multiple Third Eye Blind songs. They, they got a lot of bangers. They do. You, you know, both bands, Oasis and Third Eye Blind, had a lot of hits, um, more so than the ones you heard on the radio. I got really into Oasis like four or five years ago because there was a documentary about them that came out in like 2016, 2017. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, Oasis. Yeah, I don't mind them. They had what? Wonderwall, Champagne Supernova. I watched the documentary and I'm like, these songs are, I come I've never heard any of these songs. They were played on UK radio, but American radio only played like the two or three hit songs, but they've got like some deep cuts. And it is interesting. You mentioned the nineties. I was always kind of a weird kid in the fact that I got really into Nirvana. I graduated eighth grade in 1999. I got mm-hmm. really into Nirvana in eighth grade, even though Kurt Cobain had died five years earlier because my best friend's older sister who actually got hooked on heroin sadly uh she's alive but yeah, the relationship isn't and um we are really into nirvana because we just listened to all the cds she had and i was really into so much of that era of the 90s music um but like every part of it third eye blind i was into you know um i liked oasis nirvana of course pearl jam smashing pumpkins i actually performed at billy corgan's billy corgan owns like a, a tea place it's called madame zuzu's in highland park illinois and it's got like a little, not, not, it's not even that small. It could probably fit almost like 80 people in there to 100 for music. But they've been doing stand-up comedy once a month. And I didn't even realize it was Billy Corgan's place. I was just in there um, to perform. I just got booked to perform. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. It's, you know, pays and it seems like a good gig. And when I was there, they had like a little gift shop. You, you know, you could go get tea and they served like craft beers too. And they were selling some albums. They had some music, you know, typical Beatles and other stuff. And then there was like a whole section of just smashing pumpkins. But I didn't know it was Billy Corgan's place. So I said to another comedian, I'm like, man, owner of this place must love the smashing pumpkins. And he thought I was being like a wise ass. And then I was like, seriously, like, where do you get all this stuff even? You know, and he's like, are you kidding? And I'm like, no, he goes, Billy Corgan owns this place. I go, oh, well, that explains it. And they go, yeah, he often comes in. And then right when he said that Billy Corgan walked in, Ha! Still shockingly bald, and also I didn't realize how tall Billy Corgan is. He's like six four, six five. He's a big dude. I also didn't know that, and I also like that you're like still shockingly bald, as if like you know it's I'm just bald <laughs> for the stage. You know what I mean? Like that's just uh, my stage presence is bald, but uh, a luscious head of hair. Uh, when I think I'm off I, maybe the clock. I meant strikingly because I, I not that I was expecting it to grow back. But, you know, you see a guy on TV, it's like, it really, that head shines, you know, it was was about eight o'clock at night. The moonlight kind of hit it just right as he was entering (laughs) his own store, (laughs) his own venue, I should say. Uh, Oh, yeah. I I love it. Yeah, right. It's, I I found it fascinating how much you emphasize the joy of music, which I agree with. And I think that's pretty, you'd think more and more people would um appreciate that you know but i read something and you seem like a very bright guy is it true that music is the only thing that affects both sides of your brain hmm that's a a fine question that it sounds like because you're asking it you have more information than i do on the subject if i had to you know, pontificate about it i would imagine that you know the way that they and i'm sure that th- this is like an oversimplification that like one side of the brain is for like 
creativity and the other side of the brain is like for logic and mathematical kind of thinking that i mean it would make sense that music uh, an art, a creative uh, manifestation of, you know, people's uh, beautiful, like, you know, tapping into their emotions and what have you. And also, of course, in ways like rhythm, time, uh, the beat, like highly mathematical. So uh, it certainly would it would make sense that both sides of the brain do their thing with music. But uh, to answer your question, I don't know. Yeah. See, I don't know for sure. It's one of those things I've heard. And whenever I'm reminded of it, I forget to fact check it. And it just popped in my brain. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask Mike, but I don't blame you for not knowing for sure. But your answer, though, pretty damn good. Pretty damn uh, good. I I think you got it. Thank you. I'll also add, I'm I'm sure that this is this is like, you know, an apocryphal tale. The idea that we only use 10 percent of our brain and imagine uh, how much more we could do, you know, like there's lots of movies where they're like, imagine if you used all of your brain, you could move things with your mind. There's ESP. There's things. And a thing that I heard once is that maybe they're like, maybe it's your only, like, if you look at an MRI or something, like, look at what's lighting up, maybe only 10% is lighting up at a time, but surely like, I just read a thing today. That's like, uh, 500 million years ago that's when like the the reptile brain uh existed and uh i forget if that was the medulla oblongata or the uh, one of them is the amygdala uh maybe that one's the middle one that's like the mammalian brain and then there's the cortex that's from 100 million years ago and the middle one's in the middle like 300 million years ago and like the the one from 500 million years ago looks like an alligator's brain and so it's like we definitely have multiple parts of the brain that some of them we're using all the time, like the involuntary parts that are like helping us breathe that we don't have to think about. You can think about breathing, but even when you're not thinking about it, you're breathing. And yes. <laughs> and so uh, here's a, a brief, if I may, uh, a joke, a rendition of a joke that I have uh, sort of cobbled together here is, uh, you know, the the only people who use only 10 percent of the brain are people who think you only use 10 percent of the brain. And uh, that's <laughs> not even true for them. I don't mean to. And look, it's just we all sometimes we hear a thing and we're like, that sounds like it could be true. And then until you learn other things from other people who have done research and be like, oh, actually, uh, yeah, that's that's just like a nice story. Like the way that uh, Paul Revere wasn't the only guy and he didn't even draw ride the farthest. You know, his name just went nice in the song. Also, they say Paul Revere would not have said the British are coming. Because, because a lot of colonists believe they were British. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't yeah. call themselves American yet. So The other British knew, are coming. I think they said he would have most likely said, like, the king's men have arrived or something like that. But again, you're right. For the song and for the story, it sounds better. The British are coming and all that. You know, uh, if I may, I'm sorry to jump in. But uh, I sometimes, when I tell stories about myself from when I was a child... I'll find myself like I don't remember exactly like the script of what I said when I was in second grade. I don't even remember exactly like what words I had learned when. So when I'm telling a story where I'm like doing dialogue of me in second grade, I'm usually using like it's probably like the me of now, like uh, in ways that clearly I would never have said things exactly. But it's like the vibe, the emotions, that that content that's there. Like you get the the impression of the story. And I think that's what's going on 
with the like the British are coming. It's sort of like, have you heard of a a retronym? Do you know what a retronym is? I have not. So you you know your your homonyms, your synonyms, you know the, your your various words. Nim I think comes from name. So sure, uh, a, a retronym is a name referring to uh, the past, like retroactive, retro, and such. And so examples of retronyms include uh, snail mail or landline, things that you didn't call it that when it first came out because it was the only one. You were like, that's the mail and that's the phone. But once technology introduces email and the cell phone, now we rename, we retroactively rename, we add the retronym of snail mail or uh, landline. And so that's kind of what's going on. I feel like in the, the British are coming story, we're like, we're not British now. So, and we're American and Paul Revere was one of us. So like, he talks like we talk, he's like, he's a younger version of, he's like my second grade self. And we're telling the story and we're like, look, it wouldn't even make sense. The King's men. Why are you talking like that? Cause that's the way you yes. talk back then. <laughs> Just say the British are coming. That's what we all learned. Yeah, you know, you're now that I know the term retronym, another one's popping out to me, kind of. I think this falls in the, under the classification. I came across uh, so it was a photo someone shared, but it was breaking down the generations and the names of the generations. And the it, you know it said if you were born from this time to this time, you were the greatest generation. But there's no way in hell they were called that at the time. It was mm. that was a nickname given to them way after the fact because it would have been and I have a, I have a joke about this a little bit but I definitely was, it was reinforced to me when I saw it in print because everyone always argues what is a millennial is it from 1980 on is it from 1982 on all that stuff but if it would have been pretty obnoxious if when you were 19 years old you were referred to as the greatest generation I mean that would have been pretty like how annoying would yeah. those kids have been. That is uh, that is a great point. Very funny. And yes, a hundred percent. If it was, if if that is the name that was given to them later, then it is absolutely the same category of thing. You've you've learned it, and you've demonstrated that you've learned it. So uh, <laughs> I I appreciate it. I, I like. It's always nice to find new examples. Here's here's two kind of weird ones. I feel like outdoors is a retronym. It used to be everything was, uh, you didn't have a name for it unless it was like, maybe when they moved into caves, they were like, there was in and out. But it, it, at first there was just out. Certainly they didn't say when they're in a cave, there's no, close the cave door. What were you raised in a barn cave? You know, there's yeah. <laughs> a, outdoor, but just outside, there were no sides. It was just, there only was out. So it was the only thing. And my buddy Gus shared with me recently, he's like, I think that the word truth is a retronym as well, because until like I never saw the movie, The Invention of Lying, but I imagine it's the same kind of deal that like you just went. If there only is truth, then you don't if there only is something you don't need a word for it. Here's another connected thing to this and something from earlier. I wish I knew what culture this was, but and I hope that it's real. But my memory is that a buddy of mine in college was in an anthropology class and he came home one day uh, for class and he was like, hey, man, like we just learned about a culture 
that doesn't have the concept of music. And the reason they didn't have the concept of music was that their entire society was infused with musicality that they didn't, they wouldn't, they didn't have music and no music. They only had music. So they didn't have a word for it. Like an example is we all have this. I don't know if I've ever seen this in real life or just in movies, but you, imagine a court. There's a, a court scene. The judge is coming in, and the uh, the bailiff or somebody is like, "Oh yay, oh yay, oh yay!" Like, "All rise!" The court is now in session, and it's like that's musical. That's like a little song. Like we know how that goes. Like you wouldn't call it a song, but it's more musical than just like everyone uh, stand up. So yeah. <laughs> this society that my my friend was learning about was like that for every every aspect of. Uh, of their community, of their life was like, you know, you go to the store and you're like, give me one of those uh, packs of cigarettes, please. You know, whatever it is. I don't think it was all the same song, but it was just the same way kind of that Jews have like potentially the, the more practicing Jew you are. There's like different uh, blessings for daily activities for just, you know, like a blessing over the bread, over the wine, over the, you know over the this, over the that, like, I, I don't know what they all are, but there's lots of them. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's just the, li the little, the little song that we do right now uh, for this daily activity. Uh, so, so that if there are people out there who don't know what music is, maybe you just are music all the time. <laughs> that is interesting about your, if that's your environment, yeah, why would you have a name for what you're just known? Like your that's your life. That's your world. I've, I had this thing with my wife recently. She was talking about, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old son, and she was talking about taking them somewhere. And then I was like, oh, it's such a hassle to go at that time of day. It was, and we have to go, because it was a certain event that like, a, you know, it was like, of course, the worst time, right? Like Friday at five o'clock. And then she's like, well, I just don't want them to miss out. And I'm like, they're not missing anything. You're missing out on taking them. They don't know that thing even exists. They're perfectly oh, yeah. happy with what they do every day at five o'clock, which is get ready for dinner and then play. They don't, they're not missing something they don't know. Their world is their world. So, oh, yeah, there's similar ish, I guess. That's a, oh, yeah, a very fine related point. And here's two things that that reminds me of. One is a joke about a fish that I'll do second. Just want to tag that for later, leave the quarters on the pool table. Uh, the other thing is a buddy of mine uh, was dating a woman a few years ago and they want, she wanted to go, they wanted to go to this uh, yard sale, garage sale, you know, some kind of flea market like environment. Uh, but I think, you know, like private one that they would know sometimes maybe go every Sunday to this one. And she was like, I want to get there early because I want to make sure that other people don't buy. If there's things that I want that other people buy, then I'll feel sad if I didn't get there early enough. But if they bought them then there's no way to know, like you don't show up and be like, what did I not get to buy? What, what is gone? What did you sell already? So I can be sad. Like, of course it makes sense. Get there early if you want to get there early, but it was a, a funny mind. Like I, I want to avoid sadness, like the same way for your children. And, uh, the fish joke is just, I don't know whose this is. I just feel like I've known it for a long time now or maybe a short time. And it seems like a long, just like a timeless joke. It's like, uh, if you ask a, a fish, how's the water? It's like, what's water? You know? Yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what your, your kids. <laughs> I mean, exactly. yeah. it's, it's, it's funny too, because for your, from, you know, to be generous to your wife, like you don't want your kids to miss out 
in general, like if you were like, hey, they don't know what anything is, so let's not ever bring them anywhere, teach them anything, get them anything. If they don't know about books or video games or movies, then they're never going to be like, hey, will you give me one of those? I mean, what an amazing thing it would be to just be like, here's some art supplies. Just start drawing. Here's some, like, you know, hope maybe teach them to read, but like all the things... I mean, definitely teach them to read. In but in this <laughs> in this scenario, like it could never. It's good. There's the middle ground is a valuable place to be sometimes. Like don't be don't be freaked out if you're like, oh no, our kids aren't going to get to have this experience. Well, yeah, that's that's fine. They won't know they're missing it. Uh, but don't be like, we got to make them have all the experiences. That's gonna you know be sort of frenetic. yeah. I definitely I've taken them to a few museums, the zoo. And, but I want to take them at a time, a Tuesday at 11 o'clock, not when it's rush hour. That's my philosophy. And if it's a specific little event, I I agree. I mean, I love her for wanting to experience all these things, but yeah, the middle ground is definitely where you want to live at. Cause I have a thing where, you know, I'm a big Cubs fan and a lot of my friends are like, Hey, have you taken your sons to Wrigley field to a Cubs game yet? And I said, no, my father took me to my first game when I was five years old. And I plan on doing that with my kids. Because I think it's such a special place that you should remember your first time there. I see parents, they take their kids to sporting events and the kid's like one or two years old. And I'm like, first of all, what a pain in the ass to drag a two-year-old around a crowded place, you know, to, to a concert or to any kind of event seems like a nightmare. And there's always that one parent that holds the kid on top of their shoulders when you're walking out with 10,000 people. I'm like, what if the kid falls? They don't know how to break their fall. They're going to basically be doing a power bomb off your shoulders and they can break their neck. If you do the piggyback ride where they're like kind of gripping you and then they fall, they can kind of hit their feet first, then go to their back. That's fine. Anyway, I, I'm a very protective father or a protective person. You know, like if you and I were eating at a restaurant and the nurse came by, the nurse, when my, my wife's a nurse, so my brain's all messed <laughs> up. But if you and I were in a restaurant and the waitress came by with hot coffee, I would naturally be like, Mike, move in a little bit. I just have that weird safety first thing. So when I see that stuff, I get like anxiety. So that's why I feel like you should wait till a certain age for the benefit of it being safer. And because then the kid gets the memory. It's not just something for your Instagram. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really very meaningful and thoughtful. Like, because also when there's, you know, a one-year-old or a two-year-old somewhere, not only are they not really, you know, soaking up the experience, but it could adversely impact the experience of others who can't see over the baby's head if it's on your shoulders or if the baby is crying as I hear sometimes they do. I don't know if that's all babies, but uh, <laughs> I've heard that at least one baby has cried at least once. And that, what a thoughtful thing. I'd never thought about this. I don't have kids. And, uh, but I feel like here, here's an, here's the closest, <laughs> the analogy that I'm going to come up with. Uh, growing up, I had ice cream every night. It was just like my dessert, like after dinner, but it was just like, and I liked it, but as, and as an adult, like I'm allowed to have ice cream whenever I want, but I don't really keep ice cream in the house on a regular basis in part because I eat it more than I want to. It's like a nice out once in a while special, uh, treat situation. But like, so I, I will sometimes have, I remember a time when I had this ice cream and, uh, those, uh, I don't know if, uh, for your listeners, just uh, to be clear, I am vegan. Look how long I went without telling you. And so the ice cream I'm talking about is delicious. For a lot of people, it's 42 years. I'm 42 years old. I went that long without telling you. So like, don't say that vegans always tell you because I, I kept it in, in for so long. And uh, 
and probably it's been like 42 minutes on this as well. Uh, so I had, uh, just for people who do know, if they're like, oh my God, is Mike eating ice cream? It's cashew-based, it's almond-based, it's soy-based, it's coconut-based. It, there's delicious- the, Almond the, is great. Oh yeah, the field of vegan dessert technology is like, I, I honestly think, uh, I know that I haven't had uh, legitimate like dairy from a cow uh, or an, any other animal in a long time, but when I've seen people who have not, I mean, I'm not here to convert anybody, uh, but just try some, try a vegan dessert. They, they, they did a, they've come a long way since the first vegan cheesecake I had in the early 2000s. That was like, just, I think they only got the shape. They were like, it's like a, a triangle. That's the way you want it, right? You taste like a triangle. It really did taste like a triangle and a t triangle of tofu. But the reason I bring it up is uh, maybe like 10 years ago somewhere between like seven and 10 years ago, I had like a small pint of like this peanut butter zigzag vegan ice cream. I love chocolate peanut butter. Like that's what a, what a flavor combo. What an amazing thing. And I would eat it. And I was trying, I was trying to think like, what is the, cause if you eat, if I ate the whole thing, like the last bite is not as rewarding as the first bite. Like the first bite is, you know, amazing. Like the science behind this, I believe. Like the, the first, first too. Yeah. And so it was like, I wonder how many bites can you get to maximize the experience before like, how many should I have before I stop? And then how many minutes or hours or days should I wait to maximize the joy that I get out of this container of ice cream? And I, so that's, that's what I, I'm my own child trying to maximize my brain's and, you know, my heart's, my emotions, my spirit's experience, like you're trying to do for your kids. You're like, when is the perfect time to, like, deliver into them the, the most, you know, beautiful, memorable experience of, you know, the communal baseball father-son moment or or the a specific song that they'll finally get or a joke, you know, when will they be ready for what? Uh, so I feel like, the fact that you're thinking about these things is uh, is valuable and right on. Well, they both like music, the four and two-year-old. They're really into the Beatles. I showed mm. them the movie A Hard Day's Night, which I don't know if you've seen. Um, I'm sure you have, right? Have you ever seen the A Hard Day's Night or Help, the two long, Beatles movies? Long ago, but en enough that I, honestly, maybe either it's the kind of thing that I'm like, it's been, I've seen some of it or them. Yeah. But I don't know that I have a memory of as like a, a fully aware brained being sitting down to watch either of those movies from beginning to end. So uh, thank you for asking in the way that you did. And uh, you, would you say you recommend? Man, I wonder how, how they'll be at age 42. Yes. No, I think they held up pretty good. Uh, Hard Day's Night is in AFI's top 100 funniest movies of all time, which oh, wow. I, I put it in the 80s and that. I don't know. I haven't made my own list, but uh, it's got some really good laughs and the music's great. Of course, they got really into that. But uh, I've mentioned another thing on the podcast. So longtime listeners have heard this. My, my four year old doesn't know that the Beatles broke up. He doesn't know that John Lennon's dead. You know what I mean, and there was mm. one time when my wife was saying I think this was back in December because it was like the 40th anniversary of John Lennon's uh, death or uh, you know murder. And she was like, how old was John Lennon when he died? And my four-year-old's like, John Lennon died? And I was like, oh, shut up, shut up. Because I didn't want to explain that to him. But then today, 
literally today we're watching uh Hulu because I don't have cable or whatever, but I'm watching we're watching some show on Hulu, Paw Patrol or something, and there's a Hulu commercial, you know, specific for Hulu. I guess there's some Paul McCartney documentary series coming out. And they're playing, you know, a Beatles song in it. And my son's like, oh, the Beatles. And then he kind of looks and he sees old Paul. And he's so used to seeing the young Paul. And I've also showed the music videos of the Beatles because the Beatles were kind of early on with music videos. There's like a lot of videos of different songs and stuff like that. Some of them are animated from Yellow Submarine and all that. But like kids just love it. I mean, adults love it too. It's the Beatles. But um, it's uh, it's it's. I'm, I'm glad that they're into music already and art, but I haven't really gotten them into going. I haven't taken them to a concert or any events yet. I feel like you have to be of a certain age. Do you remember the yeah. first concert you ever went to? I do. And I want to say another thing first. There's a, a comedian in Boston uh, named Chance Langton. He's been around since I think the 80s and uh, uh, one of Boston's comedy legends. And he had a joke uh, that I hope I won't, uh, you know, not do well too much uh but uh i hope i won't butcher it in part because i don't want to ruin his joke and also because i don't want to butcher anything i'm a vegan i don't even use language that isn't vegan uh but we can't help it it's all around us it's in we're in this soup um in this meat soup uh we're, we're humans we're made of meat so his joke is something like what if that was his joke his joke is something like uh i first saw uh shirley temple in the movies, I was five, she was five, and I fell in love. And then uh, the next week, I saw her at the mall. I was five, and she was 50. And <laughs> so, like, the experience, I wonder what it must be like for your child to be, like, to see Paul McCartney age, like, decades at, in an instant. What a... What a fascinating thing. Um, well, now that he's four, he's, he's starting to pick up on this stuff. I think it was three when she said the line about him dying and he didn't really know mm. too much of death. I was trying to, I shielded him from some stuff. Anytime a Disney movie had a death scene, like I remember watching Lion King, I skipped over Mufasa dying. I was like, I just don't want to have to explain this to him yet. He's too little. Let's keep uh, the innocence going a little longer. You know, I like, it's like, you know, some, some parents, you know, tell their kids that Santa is real and then at a certain point you have to be like i'm sorry santa there's a thing about santa and then there's this thing about death and they're like oh no is santa dead and you're like well not really so <laughs> that part's good news um yeah. i mean there was this guy saint nick and i guess he lives on in all of us but uh to answer your question i'm sure my parents were both you know uh music teachers and performers so I probably i, I played in recitals when i was a kid and i like went to you know classical music uh, experiences and like musicals on Broadway. But the first concert that I ever remember like actively going to was in college. Like I didn't go to, uh, I was sort of a, a, a late bloomer to popular music. Like I got maybe a Walkman when I was 11 or 12, a Discman the next year. Like the first albums I remember getting, I got Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer on cassette, uh, Cypress Hill, Black Sunday, Aerosmith Get a Grip, Counting Crows first album. Uh, Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, and I remember get a then, grip because it had a cow's teeth pierced. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, I remember that Aerosmith cover. My mom was an Aerosmith fan. Yeah, I I was. Uh, so yeah, you're a little. You say you you're a little younger than I am. I was born in '78, so or '84. Yeah, so I was I was getting into these musics like the early early '90s. Um, these musics. And then, so I went to college, uh, 1996, 
uh, in Boston and went to the Hatch Shell, a nice like an outdoor venue on the Charles River uh, with some buddies. And it was a triple bill. Uh, they Might Be Giants was the the main draw for me. And then it was also Morphine. Did you know them? Uh, I've heard the name. Yeah. I think it was just a saxophone and maybe a bassist or something. A very small uh, setup. And then the Cardigans. Oh, uh, yes. The Cardigans. Love Me, Love Me. A song that Wales, I didn't I love believe, then. Right? But uh, that sounds right. Uh, he said without any. Yes. I, I Maybe, trust I you. I totally wrong. Yeah. I, I'm on, I know there was I'm one Welsh with you. blonde singer, <laughs> and I know she was a blonde lead singer of a band. Yeah, I um I saw Dolly Parton when I was like eight, and I remember oh my loving God. it. Yeah, I mean, my that's correct. Loving Dolly Parton is do you know it was like I don't know when it came out, uh, but the Dolly Parton's America podcast. Have you listened to it? Um, no, and you're someone else mentioned it to me not that long ago, too. But no, I've not heard it yet. Fantastic. Like I I knew the only thing I knew about Dolly Parton was like jokes about her chest size. Like legitimately growing up, she was a, a caricature. She was a punchline. And then like, and I never really listened to her music. Uh, I mean, I knew, I knew the song from the bodyguard. I will always love you. And uh, I didn't know her version of it. Uh, I certainly didn't know until like this past year or two that she wrote, I will always love you. And Jolene the same day that she also like had a production company that like contributed to the existence of uh, (laughs) the vampire Buffy, the vampire slayer, one of my favorite shows for a long time. And also she invested heavily in one of the companies that created uh, one of the vaccines for like, she's like this, this, you know, as close to a real life angel that exists, like a a person that I mean, the part of the podcast is about how she is beloved by, you know, red state people, blue state people, you know, re- religious people, non-religious people like she's uh, this compassionate, loving being that I all I knew was a thing about her body, which is like, you know, a ridiculously just, you know, uh, you know, a, a symptom of the sexism that runs rampant through uh, our, like the world, our society for sure. And it was like, oh yeah, Dolly Parton. I know everything I need to know about her, but the fact that uh, you get, you got a nice dose of the actual thing that made her successful, that made her famous. Like the fact that she was a, uh, a creator of beautiful music theme for us here. The chorus of our show is that music is good and I'm like everything else. About music. I don't oh, talk yeah. about it enough. She was hilarious too. She told like stories and she would be real funny. And I remember she was address, uh, adjusting her skirt and being like, Hey you, I see what you're doing. And then um, she was like, I'm kidding. He's looking down, but he probably wanted to, you know, she was just real like <laughs> charming as hell. But I also do remember in grade school hearing a friend rhyme once Dolly Parton is the best. She's got mountains on her chest. That was a rhyme. I'd heard a kid say in grade school. It's uh, I mean, kind of, kind of funny in grade school though. I'll say definitely. (laughs) If you're going to tell that joke, grade school's the place for it, but it becomes just, I mean, you know, we're all children uh, variously. Uh, we're all, we're all along this path. And, uh, I don't think it was a child who wrote that joke. That is for sure uh, the repetition of child uh, sharing what an adult 
said to them that they didn't understand, didn't know that most kids don't know Dolly Parton. Why, why are you teaching children to like, why did I learn? I think the one that I learned was about, you no, know, oh, I don't, I don't even really want to say it, but uh, it's, I feel like it's as innocuous as that, which is not necessarily the most innocuous, but slightly more clever maybe, it, but I also had to have it explained to me for like, why, why tell kids, like, I feel like this is the thing. If I heard this joke later, it would have been better because I would have understood more, but also maybe I'd have been like, Hey, don't tell me that joke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, what is, what is Dolly Parton doing the backstroke uh, called? And it was islands in the stream. And uh, the joke is again, that she has uh, an ample bosom and that also that's a song that she sang, I believe. So I didn't know anything about the song, but that that was the thing that I just like, uh, I mean, I'm glad that she does also like know it and own it and kind of like like a comedian. You know, if you're a comedian that has a particular uh, you know, uh tattoo or like a birthmark, a giant birthmark that like if you don't say anything about it, people are gonna be like, are they gonna say something about it? There's there's definitely a thing there. And <clears throat> like so she she's aware and she's like in in control of her instrument of all of her instruments of her musical comedic social like emotional spiritual like so i she certainly i wish she didn't have to but she can take it. yeah no she's phenomenal and it's funny we're, we're going almost full circle here before i do my final segment final segment which is called five good ones where i ask you five silly questions basically Mm. The um, Billy Joel was on Conan once. I remember an interview with Conan interviewing Billy Joel, and he was so self-deprecating with how, like, you know, you know, Billy Joel's kind of a weird-looking guy, and he was making fun of the fact that oh, I had more hair back then, but I get more head now. Like he was real trying to be like <laughs> silly and goofy, and about how like you know I used to be married to a supermodel, but I look like a oompa loompa. Like you know he and it was kind of and it made him more endearing. I feel like to the audience who probably might have been, I bet half the audience maybe didn't know who Billy Joel was. I don't know. I was I'm trying to guess. Although you know late night audiences, you know these things tape at two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, so you kind of get a touristy older crowd a lot of times too. But I feel like Conan's audience steered young. But Billy Joel was uh, very uh, funny in that interview. I thought. I saw him in concert uh, once too. Really good. Oh, I feel like I have not seen him in concert, but I bet my mom has a lot because Billy Joel was the two people that played the most, the music that I heard the most in my childhood, I would say is Billy Joel and John Denver. Those were, I know so many. Uh, and in fact, one of the songs that I know how to play on the piano is Billy Joel's. And so it goes, it is so beautiful. I just, uh, man, he, he knows how to, he knows how to write some songs that Billy Joel he does. John Denver, too. Another Conan reference. Conan in that 10-year anniversary DVD, which everyone you should buy, because I couldn't find my copy. I might buy it on Amazon. I don't know if they have it in Blu-ray now or if you could just download it on Apple or Amazon. But Conan's 10-year, he, there's uh, he's in Ireland, and um, he wants to like join in. You know, There's a lot of live music in Irish pubs all the time, and it's just some old people, and he starts playing like uh, a pretty modern song. I don't know if it was like Third Eye Blind or like from that era, though, because it's like 2003, 2004. And they, no one knows. They're all looking at him like crazy. And he's like, well, here's one you might know. And then it cuts to them all drunkenly singing John Denver's Leaving on a Jet Plane together. It's hilarious. Oh, it's yeah. It's a good tune. 
Oh yeah, uh, Take Me Home, Country Road. You know, he's got another good one. Yeah, yeah. John De- I, and also you know Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. John Denver's oh, full yeah. of shit. If you guys remember Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> good line there. All right, oh, Mike yeah. Kaplan. Thank you again for being on the podcast. A reminder, everyone, especially my Chicago area uh, listeners, Mike will be at the lawn at Bethany UCC. That's 4250 North Polina Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60613. Time for five good ones. Here is question number one. Kind of more of a serious, I guess, thoughtful question. What has been your favorite moment in your comedy career? Oh, wow. I mean. Tough to pick one, right? It really is. I I hope I don't uh, break the rules by saying more, but I mean, getting to do Conan's Tonight Show was for sure one of the greatest pleasures. And also, uh, to phrase the question again so I, I can hone in. Your favorite moment in your comedy career. I mean, uh, in in a way, it's like the show that I just did. Like, I mean, two weeks ago, the the show that I'm that I'm touring right now is called Imperfect. And I did it at Union Hall in Brooklyn uh, like two weeks ago. And it was, you know, I've been working on it for several years and took a little break from doing it extensively over the pandemic, over the lockdown. But I did it in for the first time in New York in front of, you know, an audience who hadn't gotten the chance to see me do this hour ever, or at least not in over a year and a half. And the audience was just like the warmest, most receptive. It was like my favorite time doing this show, which is about, in large part, about my relationship with my girlfriend, who I love, and how, like, uh, essentially, you know, the gratitude that I have for the path that I'm on. And I, so like, I love, I love my girlfriend, and I love this show, and I love getting to do this show when it, when it goes the best and this time it went the best. So I feel like that's one answer, which is kind of a, maybe a corny answer to be like the most recent time was my favorite time. But I'll also say uh, I did. I mean, every, every late night set that I've gotten to do has been a thrill meeting. Weird Al was a thrill. Like to, to know this person who's like an iconic, not just to the world, but like to my childhood uh, getting to, I got to, open for Patton Oswalt at Carnegie Hall once and like what a what what a weird I got to I played violin at Carnegie Hall as like a 10 year old and like in part of like a large group uh, a massive group that was like just part of a program I was in but it was like to be there now more legitimately having practice practice practiced comedy anyway I know this is meant to be quick but just I'm really grateful for so many of the opportunities I have uh, that I've gotten, uh, just to get to do the comedy that I love doing. But, uh, yeah, I guess those, those are some answers. No, that's great. And it doesn't necessarily have to be quick. I understand saying your latest shows, your favorite Seinfeld was once asked what, you know, asking a comedian what their favorite joke is, is like asking someone what, what's their favorite breath of air they've ever taken for us. It's whatever, you know, whatever breath of air gets you to your next one is your answer. So for us, whatever joke gets us to the next thing, and so whatever show gets you the next one, I, I'm totally on board with that answer. If, if I may also, I do want to say the, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Fest for the first and so far only, but hopefully to return time in 2018. 
and did a show there that became my most recent album that uh, that I just put out last year the, called AKA. The show was called All Killing Aside uh, when I was performing it live, but the album came out mid-pandemic and we were like, maybe let's not have Killing be front and center in the name. Uh, <laughs> and but getting to do that show and sort of like get it in shape and hone it into, you know, the, the tightest form of this hour. That's like of the hours that I've produced and released, like my favorite, the best, like the one that I'm proudest of and happiest of. Cause I'm like, you know, the oldest, hopefully wisest, most experienced version of myself having created this. I've always cared about the jokes that I'm telling, but these, this album's full of jokes that I care about, about things that I care about. And so getting to, do that again with my girlfriend there like for several weeks 25 shows like almost i think in a row with one night off in the middle and then also getting to meet all these other amazing comedians see their shows see dances and uh, all these and circuses and clown performances and just to be a part of i think the largest festival of its kind like 4000 6000 shows a day something like that uh to be in that environment in that city to get to be a part of that that was also uh, and to get to like live there for a month with my girlfriend in this, you know, tiny, up uh, like cozy apartment in this, you know, city full of castles. That was another uh, bright shining moment in my my comedy life. That's pretty great. Yeah. Scotland, baby. Gotta love that. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I said baby just there when we were talking <laughs> about Scotland. I don't think anyone's ever said Scotland baby, but whatever. Maybe a little Austin Powers, who's not Scottish, yeah. but he was, yeah, yeah. same continent or same Very close. land mass. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, here's a, kind of a basic question, standard. If you could have any, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Uh, I've been asked this recently, and uh, I mean, any whatever superpower doesn't come with any catches, I'm on board. Uh, the one. Like, you know, invisibility is a big draw, you know, clear, sure, surely flight must be like the Kevin Hart of these, you know, uh, yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's got to be a popular answer. Um, the thing that I like to think about is uh, controlling the 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 slowing down, speeding up or stopping of time. If that's if that were possible, like it could be used to seem like you're teleporting if you stop it and then, you know, walk a little ways, you know, it could you could travel undetected places. Uh, you could, if you slowed it down, seem like you're running faster. Uh, if you sped it up, then if you were waiting for something to happen, then you could be like, oh yeah, now, now this time happens faster. Uh, so yeah, I'd say time, time management. That's not the way to put it, but like that. Dr. Strange with the time stone. There you go. That's, yeah. that's something I like. I like anything time related to those are some good ones. I noticed about invisibility and flight, which are two very common answers they're not aggressive. So I kind of like those. A lot of people have like aggressive powers. So I want to be the incredible Hulk or something. It's like, you're doing damage. The other ones are basically like, it's their self-defense. You're getting away. Yeah. It like the Tai Chi of powers, you know, use, use your enemies, something against, or just, you know, try not live, live to not fight. Uh, but I mean, also like, if you're thinking about having powers in real life, are you conceiving your, of yourself as a superhero? Are there villains as well? Are you getting into fights? Or is it like the world exists as it is now and you're the only person with powers? Uh, then then I feel like, you know, if you're you're like, I'd be I'd be able to punch through things. I'm like, what are you using that for? Yeah, what are you doing? You're just causing a lot of property damage at that point, right? Invisible. Yeah. Go right through it. Or, or go around it, too, even. Yeah. All right, here's another one for you. This is a silly one. Um, 
I kind of wrote all these questions down randomly and kind of pull them out that way. Favorite Disney princess? Hmm. I guess I'll, the one that leaps to mind immediately is uh, Moana. Uh, I think that she ultimately is a princess. I'm sorry to spoil anything, but uh, I think she's in the category. Like, uh, And it may be that that's just the most recent one that I've seen. Uh, and I also like that uh, they are introducing into, you know, the canon of previously only, you know, uh, seemingly straight white princesses, uh, you know, some uh, some alternate perspectives. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm I guess I previously didn't have a uh, a favorite uh, Disney princess. I mean, like all the Disney princesses are my favorite, uh, whichever <laughs> one's your favorite. Like, but uh, that is, you know, I'm a big Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. I like the music yeah. in that. Uh, it's it's a it's a movie that I haven't seen over and over again. So perhaps it seems still fresh in my mind as well. Uh, but also, also, I'll say one time in New York City, uh, a woman came up to me on uh, on the street and was like, hey, are you a comedian? I was like, I am. And she's like, are you vegan? And I was like, I am. And she was like, I'm vegan also. And we, just, we were having this conversation, uh, me with this pretty lady. And I was like, what is your work? I'm a, I'm a comedian. What are you? And she's like, oh, I'm like, I'm a Disney princess. I was like, oh, so that lady's a good one, too. And uh, uh, she's, you know, at, at Disney World or on cruises or things like that. Yeah, no, her. I know a friend of mine's. Now, fiance, she's uh, does Jasmine and another one. She's got she does two of them that she does. Oh yeah, um, Jasmine's a good one as well. Uh, I guess I like Moana's like a more active one as as well. You know, it's like she gets to do stuff. But I'll also throw in uh, uh, my girlfriend. Uh, she's she's not she's actually she's in this apartment right now, but she is in another room. So I don't know if she can hear me. But uh, so this is not not for her, but for my benefit only. Uh, I mean, she's like she's not necessarily I mean, she's my favorite uh, princess like being in part because she's not Disney. So like, there you I go. Like to, if there are things that aren't Disney or aren't Amazon or aren't, you know, large conglomerates, large corporations, you know, she's my, you know, or artisanal, homegrown, organic, free range, gluten free princess. There you go. I'm also laughing because I'm sure your girlfriend, if she's, you know, hearing you every now and then is thinking, what the hell is he talking about Disney princesses ah, for right now? Sure. What is this podcast he's doing right now? All right. Here's one for you, given your music background. If you could play and well, now that I talked to you for a little over an hour, you can't say they might be giants or um, anyone else you've mentioned. But here's okay. the question. If you could play in any band, what band and uh, what instrument? Well, I don't oh. know guitar, but if you could be in any band of, of all time, what band would it be? Sure. I mean, I could play a different instrument. Uh, if I, in this fantasy version of things, I'd, I mean, I guess I'd like to play the piano, piano or drums. I, I could play a little of each, but uh, it'd be nice to be proficient on either of those. Uh, let's see. I've been throughout the pandemic. Uh, I have the, uh, here's the finalists that I've been listening to a ton. There's a woman named Juana Molina, who I like a lot. There's uh, Imogen Heap, who I've been listening to a good amount recently. Really great stuff. Uh, Donald Glover, I mean, Childish Gambino, uh, his the new thing that he put out during the pandemic. Uh, love a lot. Uh, what is, oh, Sufjan Stevens. Uh, I feel like I'm. he's just, uh, his music's so beautiful. I So I guess 
I mean, there's so many that I would. So I'd be I'd be happy to be in the band of any of these folks. Um, I mean, I, I if living or dead is a possibility, you know, your your John Denver's that'd be that'd be fun for for me and my mom, you know. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I also, I mean, oh yeah, I I guess I guess I'll say right now the one that leaps out to me uh, uh, is Sufjan Stevens, big fan. There you go. I'm gonna have to uh, check out the, their catalog. Oh That's yeah, the great I mean, endorsement you gave. There's a lot of different sounding stuff. So like, if I introduced some of it to my mom and she was like, this is a little new agey for me, like a little too much, like some weird sounds. And I was like, what about this one? She's like, oh yes, this one is more Simon and Garfunkly. So there's like, you know, uh, the one they got range. several dur like during the past year. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, do, look, look into it and see what you like. That makes me so you just what you just mentioned that makes me so jealous of, of musicians because during the pandemic they could still get into a studio and, mm. and hammer some stuff out. But as comedians, we need the live audience to create. You know? I mean, I'm well, jealous. here we are right now. We don't need the audience to do this podcast. Hey, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I uh as a musician, I, I did write I wrote a 30 second song during I wrote a lot of songs, but I recorded this song uh last year. And uh, I'll just briefly give you the lyrics. The lyrics are Musicians are lucky because they can make music even when they're trapped in their home. Uh, but not comedians. We are not as lucky. For example, look what I'm doing right now. The answer is being a musician. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a song that I wrote called Musicians Are Lucky. Uh, and because I agree with you. For sure, I mean, look, we're all, we're all going through what we're going through. But that is the nice thing about music is you can uh, pick up an instrument uh, start singing, noodling around, just letting it out, getting into it. You don't need an audience. I mean, and also, uh, you know, you can you can make yourself. La I say you can start making yourself laugh more, Joe. I bet you're doing it. You got. Your I kids. am. I am. I'm, en I'm enjoying yeah. myself. Don't get me wrong. I've got nothing to complain about. Uh, yeah. Very happy guy. But it's sometimes I think, man, music. They can just go in there. They don't need this and that. It just yeah. seems. And don't. And that's a very difficult career too. So I'm not saying it's easy, of course, and but. Here's the the only thing that I'll add to that is as a sometimes when I, I tell people that I started as a musician, we'll play like funny songs at a comedy club, talk in between. And eventually I was like, oh, it'd be like fun to like, expand the the act that I don't even need the guitar. Uh, and then I don't have to carry a guitar everywhere. That's what got me into comedy, really, is not wanting to carry around all this gear. So that's the benefit of if you have the capacity to record at home. But performing live is a greater hassle for musicians roadies equipment your instrument has to show up if it doesn't things could break there's there's a lot more that can go wrong with music than comedy yes that that's very true actually and you have to split the money so many different ways exactly who wants to play a, who wants to pay money to a bassist nobody right <laughs> Come on. only Force mitch hedberg yeah yeah <laughs> all right here we go uh final question Oh, here we are. If you could, I don't know if you're a party type of guy. So whatever your version of partying is, if you could party with any dead celebrity or historical figure, doesn't have to be like a celebrity, it could be someone in history, uh, non-relative though, who would you party with? Uh, I mean, maybe I'm Hedberg. thinking of this. I just did mention Mitch Hedberg and that he would be, I got, I did get to meet him a couple times and saw him perform live a few times. Uh, but I wouldn't say that we became, uh, you know, 
equals on the level that we would party together. So that'll that'll be my uh, my my first my instinct my instinctive answer is Mitch Hedberg. That's a good one. That's a good one. Where uh, did you get to see him perform? Uh, I saw him a few times. Uh, I think three times. One was at. Uh, I'll tell you that in order that I regret them the most to the least. Oh no, sorry, the least to the most. Uh, no regrets at all. Went to uh, in New York City. I, I don't know if I lived there at the time or if I came down from Boston. Mike Birbiglia was doing a CD release show. It was his first album, even before his first Comedy Central record came out. I think it was called like Dog Days or something like that, uh, or Dog Somethings. And uh, a lot of the material would come out to be on To Drink Mike, his sort of like a first official debut. But at this time, he was releasing this album. He was headlining, or actually, I think he he ought have been headlining, according to Hedberg, who was headlining. But Hedberg like flew himself there. I think put himself. He's like, I'm gonna be there for your album release show if you want me there. So Hedberg and I think his first his opening lines were like, Oh yeah, this is a CD release show for you. Uh, you should be closing the show. I shouldn't be doing this, but I am. And then had you know a killer set, an amazing set. Uh, so that was fantastic. Got to meet him a little bit there. Uh, maybe prior to that, I forget what order they all happened in, but one time. I was when I was just starting out like a couple years in mid 2000s, like probably just before he died. Like, so it must have been like 2004 ish. I was cold calling colleges to perform to see. Let's see if like, do you need an opener for this? Rebigly is coming. Mitch Hedberg's coming. I called it college University of Rhode Island. Uh, just like, you know, an hour, an hour, hour and a half from Boston or something. And I was like, I see Hedberg's coming to perform. Do you need an opener? And they were like, send us a tape. And I sent him a tape and they're like, this is great. We're happy to have you open. So they booked me to open for him. And then before it happened, they told me, uh, actually, we realized his contract says that he gets to bring his own opener, determine who's going to open for him. And uh, so it was uh, like Live Nation got to determine who opened for him. It was a, a another comedian who is a, a delightful fellow from Boston, Dave Russo. I... Uh, so I, but they gave me tickets to the show. So I went and I saw Dave Russo open for Mitch Hedberg. Like I had wanted to, I was like, oh man, like nothing I could have done about it. Uh, and it was so funny. That's still though. Look at you though. I like hearing stories of people who are like, I just, you know, you, you didn't just send your hands. You went for it. You're like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to send them a message. I'm going to see what's what, um, that's called going for it. I like that. I did go for it. And part of it is because this last one definitely happened before the one I just said. I drove like two hours to Amherst to see him perform at a college there. Uh, and I got there like two hours early. I just wanted, I didn't even go to the school, but it cost, I was like, I'm a student, you know, in general. They're like, yeah, it's three bucks for students. And I was just like the only one in the room. It was in like, this is a nice full circle thing too. The, the place that I'm performing in Chicago on August 1st is uh, a church. So this was a chapel that Mitch Hedberg was performing in at the at the school at, in Amherst. Uh, I think, I forget if it was UMass Amherst or if it was just Amherst uh, U uh, or Amherst College, I guess. Uh, but I was just sitting there for a while before anybody else even arrived. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, I wonder if he has an opener or if I don't been doing comedy, you know, like two years, but it felt, I was like, I got 15 minutes. I got 10 minutes. I got, I got comedy. And I was like, could I ask them? Should I ask them if I could open? And I was like, I thought about it and I didn't go for it. And 
then what happened was uh, a student comes out on stage as the show is about to begin. And he says, here's the thing is Hedberg does sometimes he did travel with Lynn Shawcroft, who, who was his wife and a comedian at the time. She would often be his opener uh, on the road on this trip. She wasn't with him. So this kid comes out, a college kid comes out and says, uh, Heb Mitch Hedberg's going to come out in a minute, but he gave me 30 bucks and told me to tell three jokes because he likes to have an opening act and didn't have one for tonight. So here are, and he just told three street jokes. Uh, oh, wow. Did anyone laugh? <laughs> I mean, they were fine jokes. I, they were they 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 were jokes that worked because they weren't his jokes. Yeah, One was jokes. is uh, is uh, I feel like profanity is acceptable on this podcast. Of course, uh, I think joke. One of the, the only joke I remember was he says, uh, "Do you know how you get a nun pregnant? You fucker." That was the joke that he got. He got paid money to open for Mitch Hedberg telling that joke, and I was like. I wish I had gone for it. And that is, I mean, perhaps now the context in which I'm framing this, I'm very, I'm grateful for that moment because without that, maybe I never would have ever gone for it in any other situation. And even though I didn't get to open for Hedberg, I have gotten to open for many of my heroes, uh, uh, people who I love. I've gotten open for Miriam Bamford and Pat Oswalt. And uh, I just, uh, I got to open for Stephen Wright in a theater very near to that to that place where I didn't get to open for Mitch Hedberg, and I was so so grateful for all of it. But what if I had never? I was like, well, nope, didn't. If I never learned to go for it, I never got to open for Hedberg at that Rhode Island College. But they brought me back and paid me money to do another show, and uh, it was like you never you never know which which thing is going like no thing is the thing i mean this is the current breath of fresh air that we're all experiencing right now this i let me change my answer this the joe kilgallen podcast is uh my favorite comedy moment uh of my life right now well thank you very much mike uh we're we got to end on that note right you got to end there positive inspiration if you got to go for it i really hope some young comedian listening to this uh, is in a city where you are and asked to open for you. I really hope that, and I hope you say no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm bringing Eat someone it. with me. But uh, yeah, I, yeah uh, <laughs> of course. You should. You should as you're telling this, now that I mentioned, you're like, oh, great. Is that going to become a thing now? How popular is this podcast? I don't know. I don't know if I'm that popular where you're going to have people stalking you at shows now, hoping they get some stage time. No, I mean, I, I'm happy to, I do get emails sometimes from people that are like, can I open for you on if the circumstances offer it? And I'm always, I'm grateful to get those emails. And once in a while, uh, it, it happens that it can be so. Well, I hope the next person who does get to open for you on a whim, ask the audience how to get an unpregnant. I hope they do that joke specifically I, for you. I'm going to I'm going to tell people about that from now. Yeah, I, I hope. I mean, it would be a nice nostalgic thing. You're right. I it hope it is so right. Yeah. And uh, we could retro name it too, a retro him. That's what it's called. Ah, I learned a lot on today's podcast. This was really fun, Mike. Uh, I can't thank you enough for doing it. I hope everyone goes out to see Mike uh, when Mike's in Chicago or check out the rest of his website. They could see all your tour dates. Oh, yeah. M-Y-Q Kaplan is the way I spell MikeKaplan.com or follow me on social media. All my tour dates uh, will be there. I'm driving starting right now uh, as we record this. I'm going to drive in two days uh, from New York to Missouri and Minnesota and then back. And that's where the Chicago leg happens. 
But uh, if you're somewhere in between there, then I'm coming to you or near you. So do check out my website and uh, and thanks for coming to a show if you can. That's it. That's the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. Mike, thanks for being on. Make sure you check out that website, MikeKaplan.com. M-Y-Q is how he spells Mike. And uh, dude, thanks again for being on. This was a lot of fun. Cheers, everybody. Thank you.